Welcome to Lung Cancer Concierge, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud and ISLC.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Dr. Narjus Duma. Welcome to Lung Cancer Concierge. I'm your host, Dr. Narjus Duma an Associate Director of the Cancer Care Equity Program at the Inafarber Cancer Institute and an Assistant Professor of Medicine at Harvard Medical School. I'm pleased to be joined today by a notable and admired figure in thoracic oncology, Dr. Karen Kelly. Dr. Kelly is a recognized international expert in lung cancer research, and her career has been dedicated to providing enhanced cancer care through current-age clinical trials. Dr. Kelly's lung cancer research has involved all aspects of the disease, from risk reduction to screening to treatment. She has been at the forefront of drug development to treat lung cancer for decades. She just started as the CEO of the ISLC, the first female to hold this spot Mm -hmm. in the association for almost 50 years in the history of the organization. Dr. Kelly, thank you for joining me today. I look forward to getting to know you more about you, about your career, and about your vision for the ISLC and for the thoracic oncology community globally. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Karen, let's start with the exciting news that you are the first woman ever to serve as the CEO of the ISLC. How does that feel? Why is this important? So I am super excited to be the new CEO of the IASRC. It it is truly very exciting, not only just as a longtime member of the ISLC and having the ISLC as an important component of my career and the opportunity to give back, but to the point that you just made that I am the first woman CEO. And I think that this really is a milestone and it symbolizes what you and I know that women can achieve any goal that they want to. And I'm certainly happy to be a trailblazer along with you and others. And I'm really looking forward to really enhancing the opportunities for women in the IASLC. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm so excited. And I have to say that I have been awed by the overwhelming support that I have been receiving from across the globe from my colleagues. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. And I have to say, as I mentor many young women that are developing a career in thoracic oncology, seeing you and having you as a role model, it is hard to describe and worse, to be honest, because as we always say, you can do what you can see. So seeing you in the seat suite and at the head of the organization is, is quite motivational. So I may print a picture of you and put it in my vision board moving forward. <laughs> Absolutely. As we continue to talk about the unique challenges that women face in, in medicine in general, we continue to see a large exodus of women in academic oncology and in thoracic oncology. Often thoracic oncology may not be seen as a female-friendly specialty. I must confess this is changing over time. Do you have any plans or vision to help stop these exodus of women in oncology? And the data comes from a a study that was published last year in which we interview around 650 women. 
in academic oncology, and 20% of them verbalize that they're most likely to leave academic oncology within the next five years. So Dr. Kelly, what is your vision to try to help stop this exodus of women from academic oncology? So I just, this takes me back to my very beginning when I really was only one of a handful of women in thoracic oncology. In fact, I think I can count the number of women on one hand at the time that I started. So the good news is, is that I'm I'm thrilled to see so many more women today than previously, and that is increasing, you know, as we go. And that's very exciting. But to your point, that you made and from the study that women are leaving throughout are leaving oncology the academic world of oncology and this is a topic that the ISLC is certainly wanting to learn more about and understand and find solutions but i do have to say that the IASLC has always had as a top priority a focus on gender equality and regional diversity in our meetings, in our programs, and in our committees. And I know that it's really because of that opportunities really young, when I was a young academic oncologist, that the ISLC really promoted me in my roles and gave me these opportunities. So I am really committed to working on how we can enhance this. And I think being a role model now, it is really important. And I've always been willing to help women all along and have mentored many, many women. But we do need to do more. And the ISLC, I'm working with our Early Career Development and Fellowship Committee to really take an even more proactive approach. Proactive is one of a key word that I like to use. We have to be proactive, but we have to address the issue of women in a global forum. There are lots of barriers that need to be addressed on the global level. And this is another important point that I want to make. I'm really dedicated to helping worldwide. And so we need to work with our committees to enhance sessions, mentoring programs. But I do want to say we have to be able to bring men into the conversation as well. The only way to overcome these barriers is to have the conversation with both men and women. And the IASLC, because this has always been such a priority, it is really ripe to continue to do more. So I will be all over this particular topic. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. And some of our listeners may be tired of hearing this, but my first oral presentation ever was a World Conference on Lung Cancer. So I agree with you about having opportunities that, you know, as I was a second year resident, and I was giving an oral presentation. I cannot explain the nerves I have that day. So serving as the ISLC CEO is a very prestigious role. Can you explain to our listeners what you see as the main roles of the CEO and what is your vision for the organization in the next few years? Well, I do think that is probably the number one question that everyone is asking and love to answer that. So it's been four weeks, and I will say I come to the office every day at Denver headquarters, and I want to just really mention that we have an outstanding team here at the IASLC headquarters. So I've been truly impressed with their dedication and their passion 
And they truly believe in our mission to conquer thoracic cancers worldwide. And so I really see my job is helping all of you to be the conduit to achieving this goal. So I really am excited because today there's just so much more going on in the world of thoracic oncology. We have the largest, I would say, arsenal of tools to defeat lung cancer than we've ever had before. You know, ranging from yeah, CT screening, robotic surgery, stereotactic radiation, targeted therapies, immunotherapies, tissue and blood biomarkers, innovation in supportive care. The challenge I see before us is how do we implement these great advances on a global scale? And that is really what I'm committed to, increasing our global presence, making sure that the patient and the doctor in the room, have all of the tools that they need to be able to find the best opportunity to cure and to continue to really work with our advocates to raise awareness on about all the facets of this disease. You know, it does truly take a village to conquer thoracic cancers worldwide. It's important that we continue to invest in research funding and enhance research funding for our laboratory-based and our translational medicine members so that they can keep those advances coming. And as well, we need to work to maintain our partnerships, but also develop new partnerships with stakeholders across the globe. As we do have more advances and we do learn more, there's opportunity to really engage more stakeholders, but we need to do that in a global way. And then, of course, the opportunities for our younger generation. You made a really great comment about your first oral presentation at the World Conference. And so we need to give many more of our young investigators an opportunity to do that. They truly are our future. And, you know, I can't believe that it has been 30 years since I started my career and I want to say, and I say this as well many times, that I'm just as passionate that very first day that I walked in as a faculty member at the University of Colorado as I am today coming back to Colorado as the new CEO of the IASLC. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. That just feels like a full cycle, right? Like being in Colorado exactly. and then coming back. Exactly. It does. It does. And it shows you that there's many ways to contribute to conquering thoracic cancers worldwide as an academic oncologist, as a caregiver, and now as leading this great organization. Dr. Kelly, something that you mentioned is the global vision that you have for ISLC. And one question that I have after that is the needs of each region are different. The needs of the Latin American region are quite different from our colleagues in Asia. What are some of the things that you see in the next years will happen in order to meet the needs of each region as they evolve over time? So first of all, we really need to get clarity around those needs. And that is one of my really top priorities. I want to really be able to do needs assessment, to have focus groups, to really understand the needs, because that is step one. We have to understand the needs of each of the regions, and then we need to work together. So I'm really excited about that opportunity. 
And as I said, in my career, I've had opportunities to lead on the local level at the University of California, Davis. I created a UC-wide lung cancer consortium for the state of California and where we have some great plans there. And then being the chair of the SWOG Lung Committee on a national level. And so taking this to the next step is really exciting to me to really work globally to conquer thoracic cancers worldwide. And I really see us doing that in, if I have to choose a couple of priorities here, certainly the ability to be able to increase low-dose CT screening is, is critically important to most rapidly curing lung cancer, but also working on the complete opposite end of the spectrum And that is with the targeted therapies and the immunotherapies for advanced stage disease. As I said in my targeted uh, therapies keynote address, I truly believe we are curing patients with stage four disease. Yes, it's a small number, but we are on the right track. I recognize this is a journey, but I am completely confident that we can do this. And we're seeing this today. Thank you, Dr. Kelly. Something that's very unique is that you are joining the organization during a big transition after the last two years of a pandemic. The pandemic hasn't disappeared, but things are continuing to change. Where's some of these unique aspects as you join the organization and we're transitioning to what we hope will be the first in-person work conference since the beginning of the pandemic? Yes. So I think that the really critical question that everyone is struggling with and is top of mind is what do the future in-person meetings really look like? The hybrid model, of course, is here to stay, but what does it look like? Is it 50-50? Is it 75 in-person, 25 virtual? Is it the other way around? And so we are in the dark right now about this, and it does make planning a little difficult. And I'm so glad you said that about the World Conference in Vienna. I I am so excited to be seeing all of my colleagues from around the globe at the World Congress. So really, really super excited about that. The other issue I would say is how do we educate in, again, a very fast-paced world where people are short on time and the advances in thoracic malignancies are coming really fast? How do we do that? So I was talking with one of our team members here at the ISLC headquarters, and I learned a new word, microlearning. And so I'm really excited to learn more about microlearning and how we might be able to leverage that with our members. So young people are always so great with all technology, and I'm learning a lot here from them. I'm a big proponent of microlearning. I use it for all my mentees, and we probably (laughs) should have a podcast about microlearning and microtasking. There you go. Uh, So so I'm new to this. As I said, I come from the older generation, so this is the first time I've heard that word, but I like it. Yeah, we're learning that from the technology world. I'm learning about microtasking, too. It's quite interesting how you can use two minutes to do something, and that's what we will discuss in another Episode. I think that would so, be a great topic. Yes, especially for all of us that were new with these new terms. Generation Z is currently, you know, keeping on <laughs> our toes. 
I'm a geriatric millennial. I'm very proud to be a geriatric millennial. So we, you have been historically involved in ISLC. You mentioned over 30 years in the organization. You have served in the board. You have been involved in committees. Can you share the highlights and the importance of your role and how your role evolved in the organization? It was really an honor to be on the IASLC board. And it's so interesting to see how the organization works from the other side of the fence. And so one of the opportunities that I had while being on the board was to be able to work to revise our strategic plan. Like any business, strategic plans are revised about every five years. And so it was so interesting to learn from my international colleagues about where we are similar and where we are different and how we can come together to find solutions that really will have that global impact and be true to our mission and continue to enhance and grow the IASLC. I do have to say that it was during my board tenure that we made the decision to take the world conference from the biannual conference to the yearly conference. And this was not an easy decision for us. But, you know, today I am so glad that we did that with all of the great advances that we now have. We definitely need this conference every year. So very pleased to be able to be a part of that decision. Thank you. And we're all very thankful because in that way we have more reasons to go to Europe for the people living in the U.S. Well, yes, but also the regional meetings that we have started to, to the point of really trying to understand the regions and helping our colleagues in all the regions to be able to, you know, conquer thoracic cancers worldwide. Dr. Kelly, I must agree with you. When attending some of the local regional meetings, I have, you know, developed collaborations that are still alive today for many of my global oncology studies. So we can now, you know, describe how important it is to meet with all members of the organization for all regions in order to conquer thoracic cancers worldwide instead of just being in these little asylums and our little ivory towers. So today, Dr. Kelly, is the celebration of our 100 podcasts. Dr. Liu and I have been hosting this for a year and a half, and it's our true honor to have you as our guest today as we celebrate the 100th episode. I would like to take this time to learn a little bit more about you. You are a medical oncologist by training and have worked in Colorado, Kansas, and more recently in California. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your training, and what led you to focus on lung cancer? Sure. So when I was in medical school at the University of Kansas, I was born in Kansas and had the opportunity to attend medical school at the university. I really enjoyed pathology, pharmacology, and patient care. And it just seemed to be a natural fit to do oncology. I really felt that oncology at the time was a new frontier. Oncology really involved, unfortunately, every organ in the body. And so there was so much opportunity. And I knew that I wanted to stay in academics. I just am so stimulated by new knowledge. And it just is is really important to me. 
And so when I left the University of Kansas to do my internship and residency at the University of Colorado, during my residency, I did have the opportunity to have a research rotation, which I did spend in Dr. Bunn's lab. And then I went on to do my fellowship at uh, the University of Colorado. I will say that I believe, and I was just thinking about this the other day, that when Dr. Bunn arrived at the University of Colorado to be the first cancer center director and to achieve NCI designation, I think we arrived at the same year. And I'm not going to tell you what year that was, but it was the same year. I arrived as an intern and he arrived as the new cancer center director. I remember that. And I remember going to a grand rounds that he had given to internal medicine. But during my fellowship, and because I had worked with him in his laboratory, there was just kind of a natural mentee-mentor relationship that had developed. And so I was fortunate to be able to join the faculty and work with Dr. Bunn, who is, as you well know, so passionate about lung cancer and finding the advances across the spectrum of this disease. So that is really then, he has given me so many great gifts and that passion that he has, I still have. And I think we may have made, we've made a great team, but at some point you have to leave the nest. And so I felt that that was important to grow. And I'm very thankful for my time at Kansas and at the University of California, Davis, where I was able to then lead several, several programs at UC Davis, and then, of course, the SWOG Lung Committee Chair, which really helped me develop the skill set. I always wanted to learn. I always prided myself on taking opportunities. I may not have known what I was getting myself into, but just the sheer fact that I was taking a risk and taking an opportunity, I found stimulating. Yes, I make mistakes, but I learn from them. So, So taking new opportunities was very important to me. And I'm very glad that I did leave and did grow. And it brought me back to to where I am today. Thank you for sharing your journey with us. You know, one of the unique things about oncology is that you know where you start, but you don't know where you end. Certainly, you know, we always chase the opportunities that come. Dr. Kelly, you have recently moved, as you say, you left California to Colorado and you also mentioned your role as the chair of the SWOGS Long Committee. Can you talk a little bit, what is this transition from the point of view of patient care in your positions at SWOG and University of California? So I truly enjoyed being the SWOG Lung Committee chair, and I feel that I have enhanced the SWOG Lung Committee, enhanced our clinical trial portfolio from where I started. And I'm very proud of all that I've accomplished in the SWOG Lung Committee. In particular, I created uh, several working groups, including a community enhancement group to enhance their involvement with our clinical trials from the very beginning in the design of the clinical trials. We have a great patient advocate on our Lung Committee, and and she's been fabulous as well. And all of working with all of the surgeons, radiation oncologists, medical oncologists, pathologists, 
I'm so proud of everything that we have accomplished as I look back on that now that I have left. We just completed our SWAG meeting in Seattle last week, and and it was a, a great pleasure to be honored there for my accomplishments. It's very hard to give up patient care. I will say that it's even harder today than it was when I had left Colorado. And the reason why, it's for a good reason, the fact that my patients are living longer and I have a relationship with them. It was so much harder though, because of that, because they were living longer. I think I spent uh, quite a bit of time crying and the patients crying and being part of their families, as many patients told me I was. And so that part is hard. But having said that, I am looking forward to not now, but maybe in the future, joining the University of Colorado and working a little bit in the lung cancer clinic there. That is something that is on my mind, but I want to make sure that I get everything settled here and we're on the right path and and then think about returning to patient care because that is hard. I actually had called a patient just the other day and talk to his wife. And I've told them all they can call me anytime. I'm happy to help. And I've I've been trying to do so, even though I have not there, but always willing to help my patients, even though I'm not physically there, I'm there mentally. I must agree with you, Dr. Kelly. I have moved to three institutions. It's the hardest thing about moving is leaving those relationships behind. Yes. And they're just so much longer. And that is really what is a clear difference from when I left the University of Colorado, when we didn't really have targeted therapies available. Yes, we were doing the trials, but at that time, we didn't really know how amazing and how beneficial they were. And now that, you know, I, my longest patient on a targeted therapy is about 13 years, but I know that I am not the longest. So, you know, that's just incredible. And now with the immunotherapies as well. So these long, long relationships, it's just been amazing to watch and see, but hard when you leave them. It is hard, but, you know, we're so thankful because cancer research saves lives and prolongs life. And I I have a few patients that are running the Boston Marathon on Monday. And I think when I was a first year fellow, immunotherapy wasn't even approved yet. I don't think that would have been a possibility. And now I have patients that, you know, these yesterday in clinic, my patients, like I woke up around five miles. What about you, Dr. Duma? I'm like, well, I woke up, make my coffee and I show up here. So no. (laughs) I have the same experience there too, where, and many of these patients are in their seventies, then they're working out and they're going on their bike rides. And I'm just, I'm in awe of what they do. Yeah, it is incredible. And it is a true honor to be part of their journey and their cancer journey and leaving them. Sometimes in the middle of their journey feels like you're leaving a a sibling, a friend Mm -hmm. behind. And I still check with my patients quite often. (laughs) Yes, I'm going into the electronic medical record and talking to my nurse and she's keeping me updated as well. So, So we're still very much connected. Yeah. So as we move forward with our conversation, one of the benefits of the ISLC is our multidisciplinary and global nature. That can also be challenging, especially during the pandemic. Do you have any goals for collaboration, given what we have learned in the past few years? 
So one of the things I'm looking forward to is to initiate a new member survey. We have not had a member survey since before the pandemic. I think it was a couple of years. We were probably getting ready to do a member survey and then the pandemic hit. So now is the perfect time to redo our member survey. And we're going to, I'm very focused on this survey because I want to make sure that we get it right and we do it in a way that is impactful, but yet not time consuming so that we can really assess what our members need, what they want, what they value, and use that survey as a blueprint. I would like to see us be able to really connect our members better, really understand our members better. And the first step is to have this member survey. I'm also interested in having some focus groups as well to have the one-on-one relationship. This is where I think Zoom and virtual abilities is very helpful so that I can connect personally with more of our members so that I can serve our members and they we can work together. So that's my first step to be able to understand, particularly in, in this new world, because it is a new normal and we need to understand it. So I'm really excited about our member survey that we are working on and we will be getting that out in a few months. So so that's step number one. It is important to understand, you know, the needs as the needs have changed, Dr. Kelly, you know, the last two years had brought attention to things that we forgot about it or that we took for granted. So I think the needs of the community have evolved over the last two years. Yes. So that is exactly why this is the perfect time to be able to do this. And with me being the new CEO, that that also just, I think, comes together naturally. So looking forward to getting that out and seeing the results and we'll share all that information as soon as we we get it. Well, I know our listeners are going to be looking forward to the survey in the responses as well as the combined results. Many of our listeners are early in their career. Do you have a strong history of mentorship? Do you have any advice for trainees or joint investigators We are interested in becoming more involved in ISLC. Well, first of all, let me say that I just love mentoring. I've had the opportunity to mentor not only medical oncologists, but I'm really proud that I've been able to mentor surgeons as well as radiation oncologists, a neuro oncologist, as well as radiologists. And I have found it so eye opening and so refreshing to be able to mentor across the spectrum in a multidisciplinary way. So first of all, I'm so excited about continuing this here at the IASLC. In terms of advice, my first advice is really what I had said previously, be proactive. Seek out individuals. When you're at a meeting, go ask questions to someone that you want to be able to perhaps work with or just want to hear about their story. One of the great things I like, I like to hear people's stories, particularly people that you'd be surprised how interesting people's stories are on their path to where they got to being 
a expert in thoracic oncology, they're not the same and they're very different. And some people start as a school teacher and up doing medicine. It's so fascinating hearing people's stories. It just highlights that there are many ways, many different ways to accomplish the same goal. So I really love that. So always be proactive and seek out opportunities, particularly seek out opportunities that will enhance your skills and give you new skill sets. So I think IASLC is one of the best ways to do that. We offer so much, as you just mentioned, and I mentioned, we both started out early in our careers belonging to the IASLC even. Even as a resident, you can get involved in a fellow, you, you can get involved. So submitting abstracts, we have a great grants program, coming to the meeting, networking, taking advantage of all our career programs, and volunteering. Volunteering, again, another key aspect of what needs to be done, I would say, if you're a young person. And I think that in terms of making sure you have a plan, a one-year plan, and then a longer-term plan. And I always tell my mentees to don't just include things on your plan that you can accomplish. Yes, I want to write a paper, I want to do a protocol, but put that more farther-reaching goal on your list as well so that you have something to aspire to, I think is always very, very critical. Thank you, Karen. And as we're almost coming to the end of the podcast, we would like to ask you, what are your top three tips for mentors and mentees that you would like to share with your audience? So as I said, find the mentor that works best for you. Sometimes it's not the first person. Make sure that in the very beginning that you develop a mentee-mentor relationship that is a win-win for the both of you. So I think that that is really number one. And then remember to meet with the mentor on a regular basis and to make sure that you push the envelope with your mentor. That would be probably number one. Number two, I think, as I already mentioned, being proactive in everything you do, even with your mentor, making sure that you are seeking out opportunities and you can come to your mentor and say, oh, I found this opportunity. What do you think? How should we work this into our plan? And then, as I said, making sure that you have a plan. Plans are critical. Sometimes that's hard to do, but really the short-term plan and the long-term plan is critical. And sometimes mentees say, well, I have no idea what my long-term plan is. <laughs> That's okay. It can change. But just put something pen to paper so that you set goals and try to achieve them. They change along the way. Absolutely. But that's okay. Thank you, Karen, for sharing that important, those important tips. And I think being proactive is very important for both mentors and mentees as is a two-way relationship. Definitely. As we wrap this podcast, I wonder if you can think to the future. Five years from now, what will you make you look back and say, yes, we succeeded? 
Well, the ultimate goal is to decrease mortality from lung cancer. I'm confident that we will continue that road down to declining the mortality rate from lung cancer. It is just going to automatically happen with all of the great advances that we are just now having. They will decrease mortality rate. So we will be successful. It's the magnitude of the success that I think will be, you know, how much will that be in five years? Being optimistic, hopefully that will be a lot, but I don't know, but I'll look forward to that. I think that the other things are, how do we go about this in terms of, yes, decreasing mortality, but how to do that? We need more CT screening across the globe, number one. So I'm very committed to enhancing CT screening across the globe. That's probably the fastest way to decrease mortality from lung cancer and increase our cure rates. But then again, going to that stage four disease setting that we mentioned before about making sure that we do do NGS testing and we give the patients the right treatment for what they have. That too is the second way to really decrease mortality. Very excited about both of those two really discordant proposals, early stage and late stage. I just think that it's just so fascinating that we can talk about these in the same breath and use the word decrease mortality and increase cure rates. Thank you, Karen, for sharing with us the, your vision, your passion about the future of organization that means a lot to many of us. Thank you, Dr. Karen Kelly, for your time. And we can wait to see everything you're going to accomplish at ISLC. Thank you so much. This has been so much fun and I'd love to do it again. Maybe the next 100th, the 200th episode, you can pencil me in. That would be wonderful. And we can make that a tradition that every 100 you come with us. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks to everyone for listening to Lung Cancer Considered, the official ISLC podcast. And I hope you will tune in the first and the third weeks of every month to give us a listen. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Concert. You can find all our podcasts on our website, islc.org, in our newsroom, or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, write comments, and share your favorite episodes with your colleagues.